Welcome back to Between the Before and After, a podcast about the stories that shape us. I'm your host, Coach John McLernan. Each episode, I bring you an inspiring guest with a moving story that shines a light on the power of the human spirit. I'm excited to share this story with you, so let's dive in. All right. What would it be like to reach a peak in your professional career, get featured on a major publication, and then get smashed with crippling anxiety that makes you want to hide and withdraw within yourself? Then you work through getting over that, only to encounter yet another twist in the road. This is Joshua's story, and I'm excited to bring him on. Joshua, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So Joshua, before we dive into your story, I always like to let people know kind of what you're up to right now and if they want to connect with you um, where they could. Well, you can go to beingquantum.com. Being quantum. <laughs> I like that. Um, I was I studied astrophysics um, as well as high-level inorganic chemistry. And so quantum mechanics uh, comes comes into it uh, in that field of study. But uh, perhaps in, in your terminology, quantum has a slightly different in, interpretation. Um, and I, I imagine when people hear the term uh, quantum, they probably get a little bit curious about it. Like what exactly it's referring to? Oh, I don't think people are really thinking that way anymore. I think quantum is the term of Mm -hmm. this time in our life. And the problem with it, though, (laughs) is that they're using the word quantum because everybody wants to learn about quantum, but they're not necessarily being quantum in what they're explaining, which is quite interesting these days. So I've been doing this work for 23 years before quantum was really well known and people weren't really doing a lot of it. And, um, you know, I I got here by... Uh, going through a lot of stuff. That's how I found quantum. But yeah, I do think that people want to know what does it mean? It means cellular. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you move energy at the cellular level of the body to create a quantum shift or a huge change in mm-hmm. the structure of the cells of the body, which is the root cause of any problem. And then you move that energy and it either releases or transforms. And when that happens, then the problem is uh, solved. Okay. Yeah. Normally, we would, I guess in the, in the world of physics, we talk about quantum work. We are, in a sense, talking about shifting energy states as well, but not necessarily, we're talking maybe at the atomic level versus the uh, the cellular level. And so, uh, and I think, uh, you know, the first time I, I heard about quantum outside of my university was this idea of quantum computing, which I think some people are hoping is going to be the holy grail of like <laughs> infinitely or, or close to infinitely increasing your computing power, which will sort of render all, all current like computer security protocols obsolete. But uh, yeah. quant- quantum energy, um, I think energy manifestation, these are topics that are, have over the last probably say decade or maybe even maybe even like come more into the mainstream consciousness kind of away from just this sort of fringe movement to people are genuinely getting kind of curious about this as it feels like the world that we live in it's getting maybe feels like it's getting more unstable there's there's it seems like there's more unrest there's a lot more anxiety in the world today and part of it is i mean maybe the social media and things that we're connected to 24 7 but uh, people are looking for answers and uh, I think maybe this was your experience as well. At some point in time in your life, you you were going through some tough stuff and you're like, well, all the tools that I currently have aren't aren't working for me. I need to find some answers that are different. Yeah, <laughs> that, that certainly <laughs> happened to me many yeah. years ago. We're talking about, you know, 20 some odd years ago, I was having a lot of issues with anxiety 
in mm. addition to having migraine headaches, having um, different types of pain. At one point, I had pain in my hands. Um, I had um, issues with dyslexia. I had attention deficit disorder, or, or what they refer to as ADHD. And I was having a lot of problems in my life. And when anxiety hit me, um, on top of the other problems that I, that I already had, um, it was it was debilitating. There were some days that I wasn't even functional, mm-hmm. and that was that was rough. And that and that was about ten years. So it took me ten years to go wow. through all of that. During those yeah. ten years, I learned a lot of different modalities, a lot of healing modalities, and. Um, I learned so many healing modalities. I, I, I try to start to piece them together to see if maybe, you know, they would work better if I played with them a little bit. And I realized that each of the modalities had some merit, right? They were all really mm-hmm. good, but nothing really solved my problem completely. So I wasn't getting rid of the migraines. I wasn't getting rid of the um, anxiety. I was having, just, still having trouble reading. I was still having mm-hmm. trouble with dyslexia. Everything was still a problem, even though I had known all these great ways of resolving things and they wouldn't resolve. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny because I was thinking about like Einstein. One of his greatest works was to try to unify, uh, create a unified theory between the general relativity and quantum mechanics. So the the uh, the theory of the infinitely large versus and the infinitesimally small. And it seems like you were trying to create a unified theory of healing, maybe without exactly realizing it. So you, you listed quite a few things that you were experiencing, from like ADHD to migraines to anxiety. Going back to childhood, was this something that you you had experienced then, or when did these start to show up in your life? And why ask that question? I guess is I'm curious if if there if there's any sort of connection between you know your early life and the development of this, or any genetic predisposition towards this. I would say yes and no, um, but more on the yes side. <laughs> so, uh, what I mean by that is when I was a kid, I had a lot of a lot of things happen to me. I was very scared as a mm. child. And I didn't know why I was scared, but I would have lots of things happen. Like I was scared of the dark. I was scared. Um, well, in my basement, I had a lot of things happen there where um, my name would be called and nobody was home. Uh, these kinds of things were really scary. And I so I didn't, I didn't realize I, I had entities in my house as a child. I learned later as an adult that that was the case, but I didn't know what it meant when someone was calling my name. And I was hearing it. I thought I was just hearing it like in my head, but no, I was really hearing it out loud. So, yeah. T- t- tell me about that. Um, you know, when was the first time that you experienced this where you're consciously aware of this and aware that there's, there's nobody else around? Can, can you set the scene for us? Well, I don't know how conscious I was of it. I just, I didn't realize that people weren't seeing, feeling, and hearing the things that I was. <laughs> mm, <laughs> right? so, okay. so, so my parents, you know, my, my, my dad was like Judge Wapner, my mother, Judge Judy. And so, <laughs> so you can imagine the household that I lived in. And so with, with that experience, I don't, they didn't resonate or understand why I was scared they knew I was very sensitive. My parents would get into fights because that was the way that they liked to communicate. Um, mm. To me, the world was ending when that happened. It was too too much for me. So they they had to stop that in order to move forward. So when I was starting to notice this paranormal kind of stuff happening in the house, I didn't know what to do with it, um, especially when I would see things in my closet or around my room um, when, when the lights were out. So that's why I was scared of the dark. So okay. I was getting freaked out because <laughs> there were there was, you know, I don't know, ghosts and entities and all sorts of things in my room. 
that I was seeing, and it was scaring me as a, as a young child. So the babysitter or my parents or whoever it was at the time would come in and open the closet door and say, see, nothing there. And I'm like, all I can think about is in my head, when you leave, um, that's then, then that they're going to come back. So when you say they're not there, they're there. So yeah, nobody wow. understood me. Nobody understood right. that aspect of me. or And I didn't have enough to, um, within me to explain that I was seeing these things. So, so it didn't make sense to me. And what age were you at this time? All different ages. Um, I, I was, I probably, I turned it off probably around age 12. But before that, um, I was seeing things all the time, feeling things. Um, I was, I was seeing, um, I, I guess I'm clairvoyant, right? So I would see all different things um, spiritually, but I didn't know what to do with them. So I just hmm. eventually turned it off because it, it was scaring me, but I still slept with the nightlight for a very long time. <laughs> right. And, and by, by turn it off, I guess you, you mean you just suppress it and ignore it uh, yeah. to, to try to pretend that it doesn't exist, even though it, it very much still exists. Well, it goes beyond pretending you can turn off the abilities, uh, which is what mm. I did. So I didn't have any ability probably from age 12 all the way until uh, my late, well, probably about 24 years old. Okay. And yeah. when, so between that time, I didn't really have any any kind of experience like that until I started to get really scared because things started to open up. So I started to get scared again, and anxiety would come up for me um, in my twenty, in my late twenties, and that hit really hard because it wasn't like, oh, I'm a little scared. It was like, oh, I'm freaking out. This this anxiety was so bad, I didn't know, you know, what was going on. My I thought I was going crazy. But what I didn't realize was that that 10 years that I was having, or 10 years plus, that I was having um, anxiety and all this difficulty was I had entities. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I made this movie uh, with Dr. Bruce Lipton and Bernie Siegel and James Oshman and Donna Eden, uh, where we made them called The Ultimate Answer is inside, okay, yeah, uh, the yeah. same as, name as my book. And yeah. um, when we made the movie together, it was really a, a fabulous experience. But that's when I met somebody who told me I had entities. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. when she told me that I had entities, I was like, uh, okay, that's like TV stuff. This is right, not right. real. What are you talking about? That's like silly. And she's like, no, it's it's not silly. You really have them. And so she said she could re- remove them. And I'm like, That's well, funny. okay, but I wasn't really sure I liked that idea either. Um, <laughs> you know, like what, 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 what is this, what is this going to involve? Yeah. So, I to this. <laughs> you know, and, and this is, this is quite fascinating to think about because, um, you know, for, for a number of years, you, you, you kind of shut off this ability. And, and I wonder if like, did it affect your, your socialization or like your social life kind of growing up knowing that oh, there's something different here. There's something different in me. You know, did that, uh, sort of affect your ability to connect with other people. Well, there was always something different with me. <laughs> that was Fair that enough. was that was for sure. I mean, growing up in with a, with a learning disability, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I don't identify with that today, but I, I went through my childhood with a learning disability ever since I hit third grade, mm-hmm. and so or really second grade. And then when I went into um, junior high school, I had left special schools. So I was in special schools, of course. And those schools helped me a great deal and brought me to um, learning levels that I needed to get to. But then my parents thought, let's try public school again. Right, right. Yeah. And and they're thinking, you know, let's 
let's see if we, if you can handle it, we would save a lot of money, <laughs> you know? And right, right. for me, it would be like, it would be a triumph that I would be able to succeed, but that didn't work out all that well for me. Um, I was now in a special class. So there's normal people in other classes. And then Joshua was in the special class with all the people that are sort of like rejects. And right, right. so that wasn't exactly great for me for those two years. Um, it was definitely a difficult two years. So after those two years, uh, my parents realized it wasn't working and sent me back to New York City to go and go into a, a special high school. And when I did that, things changed. All of the bad stuff that happened in junior high school went away, and all the great stuff that happened in New York. New York, I always loved New York. Loved New York has always loved me. So, yes. uh, being in New York has been was great to go to school there. And, but during those times, um, this is after I had turned off my abilities. Um, you know, I was really just dealing with this learning disability thing, trying to see, do I really have one? What's really going on? Um, do I take the medication or not? You know, kids right. were taking the medication. They were, they, were, they were hiding the fact that they weren't taking it. Um, was I going to do that? There was all sorts of things that, all sorts of things that kind of, you know, mind-blowing during that, that time of my life. So I was more focused at that time on just dealing with getting stuff done. I went into high school after going through those two years, by the way, of, you know, really learning nothing in public school. Right. Um, and then going... And they going to high school, they were like, well, now you have to do work. I'm like, what do you mean? You know, I just, I just, I thought I'd just come and do nothing. And that was the way it goes. This was a lot harder than I expected. And I had to adjust to that. It took me a year to adjust. And so I was like one of the worst students and if not the worst student in the class. And by the end of my third year, I became one of the, one of the best students in the class. And in addition to that, I went, they, I went to visit a college earlier, New England College, and they had asked me if I could come now. And mm. so I didn't do my fourth year of, of high school. I just went directly to summer school college and then continued to go on to college because I had done so well between the time that I was, you know, not doing well and kind of failing <laughs> to, to doing really awesome and helping other students as well. So it was pretty good. And, and do you have, a, did you have like an idea of, um, you know, kind of where you wanted to go professionally at this point, you know, this idea of what, what do I want to be when I grow up? Oh, was there I had no idea. Oh, <laughs> that was a struggle. I kept telling my dad, um, dad, I don't know what I want to do with my life. He says, that's okay. You have time. That was, that was always the answer. Right, and right. so I was thinking, you know, well, when I got into college and, and I didn't have a major the first year, that wasn't a big deal. But the second year, they expect you to say something. So I, I chose, you know, for at one point I wanted to be an actor. So I thought that would be really good until they told me that there was a lot of history and a lot of reading to do. And I wasn't really happy with the reading. You right, know, a kid right. with dyslexia is not going to want to do reading here. Okay. So, <laughs> so uh, then I thought I could write because so I, so, because I learned how to write pretty well in, in, sc in school. Mm, yeah. So I thought I could write. So I, I joined, became a writing major. That, that didn't work out either because they gave the first class I walked into had 15 books. Wow. In my school, we weren't expected to read books like that. So I never really read a book. So I'm, I'm going to read 15. I don't think so. <laughs> That's not going to happen. So, right. so I had to, uh, I had to like drop that class. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and say, okay, then we're going to do something else. So eventually I met a teacher who was a writing teacher in the area of journalism. Okay. And those were, that was more or less shorter writing. No 
reading. <laughs> I was, uh, this is this is my thing. So I ended up becoming a journalism major, and because he really liked me, it was the obvious choice. Because I was going to be an education major at one time. Okay. Uh, because I was, you know, wow, I was having trouble in school. Maybe I'd be a teacher and help. Students, because I was already helping students um, at in college. I was going to the resource center, helping students with organization and time management. I was doing that before in high school. So now moving to to uh, to to college, I, I thought obviously being an education major would be great. Right, Except for the I mean, like, oh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say you you have the you have the intimate understanding of what it's like to struggle as a student. Yeah, and you know this just reminds me of an experience of mine. The first time I went into um, multivariable calculus, so I was doing high level mathematics, and I I w- grew up in a small town, so I didn't have access to multivariable cal- or calculus as a study in my high school. And so I'd got to the first level of it. Then I got to this one and this one kind of blew my mind. I had a teacher who understood it inside out, but had no idea how to present the information because it had always been second nature to him. So he didn't understand the struggle of me trying to sort of wrap my head around this stuff. And so I just thought, well, you having had the experiences you had through your education, you, you knew very clearly what it was like to struggle. And so maybe there was already kind of this sense of you're going to be a teacher in some capacity in your life. And maybe you already had been without fully realizing it. True. And, and I was not doing well in that class, though. I really, uh, I really, I really wasn't doing well. They, I was kind of failing my, my education classes. And um, I was talking to the, the lady that ran the education department. And her answer was, this isn't for you. And I said, well, what do you mean? I want to help people and I want to be a teacher. And she says, uh, we're not going to recommend you to the state. So I really recommend that you go and find another way. So she made it very clear that she wanted me out. <laughs> okay. And, and maybe this is sometimes people's response when they encounter somebody, you know, who, who is different, who sees the world differently. You know, sometimes yes. we might use the terminology like neurodivergent, I think is, is a common terminal term in use nowadays. It's just, we're beginning to recognize that there's a variety of ways that people see and experience the world and interpret what they see. I mean, the brain is just absolutely fascinating and marvelous. So was it after university that you again started to experience the anxiety or had this started to show up again while you're going through university? Nope. Went through all of uh, college with, with no, I mean, normal anxiety. I was sure, like, sure. I kind of hated school at the same time as tried to do my best. Um, I got, I had a science class that was a real pain. Um, I, I want to get rid of the class, but it was too late to withdraw. So I failed it. So I had to take it again. I'm like, are you sure you want to hop me back? <laughs> you know, do you really want me in this class? And uh, anyway, so I, I knew what I was headed for. So I actually passed that one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It agreed for me to take a pass fail. So I didn't have to get a grade. It was just be like, either okay. I pass it or I don't. So I was like, yes. Okay, great. So I'm going to just pass this class. And it, it was interesting because he was really, he was really on me. He because last year, the year before when I took the class, um, and I was failing, he would call on me and I didn't know any of the answers. So in the beginning, I I decided I would know the answers when he asked me. So once he did that four or five times, he left me alone. And because okay. I knew the answers, and I would, and then he he never called on me the rest of the year, and I'm like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> so I was yeah. very happy that he stopped beating up on me. <laughs> well, no, um. I, I'm curious, actually, because we don't know a lot about your, your sort of family background. Do you have any siblings or anything like that? Like, and and you know, as as you sort of move into adulthood, did you try to ever explain to your parents like what you had experienced as a child? 
Yeah, so I do have I have two siblings, a brother and a sister, but much older than I. Okay. So it was like I was an only child uh, for the most part of my upbringing. Right, what was right. The other yeah. uh, you know, did as you moved into adulthood, did you ever um, try to explain to your parents or have a conversation with them about what you had experienced as a, as a child around sort of the anxiety, the mental health struggles, the you know seeing entities, things like that? Um, not the seeing entities stuff until much later uh, when I talked to my mom about it because she was bringing entities um, to me all the time. <laughs> so I was trying to talk with her about, you know, maybe we can solve her problem too, but she doesn't get affected. Well, she does get affected, but she doesn't realize she gets affected by it. Um, I certainly was getting affected by her bringing them to me. So I had to resolve that issue in the future. Right, right. Yeah. And so you, you said it was around 24 that you saw that kind of the return of some of these these struggles with these anxiety and maybe and, and how was it that you encountered this lady who said to you, um, you have entities? Yeah. So the anxiety started around age 24. Right. OK. And they went for about 10 years ish. Okay. Then I started to make the movie later on uh, after moving to New York. I made the movie. Um, and when I was making the movie, this lady uh, who was in my movie, she decided to tell me that I had entities. And I thought that that was, um, you know, movie magic or something. <laughs> I, I didn't think right. she, that this was a serious thing. And she's like, no, it's a, it's a serious thing. And, and I thought she was, you know, I put her in my movie. Obviously, I trusted her deeply. But I, um, I let her eliminate the entities for me. And I started to notice that I became more normal. I didn't have so much of this entity stuff going on. Now, that didn't solve it permanently because, mm -hmm. you know, if I would go somewhere, I'd pick up more entities. So that wasn't, right. that wasn't great. So yeah. I had to learn how to resolve that. So she taught me how to resolve entity issues. Mm -hmm. And and then um, while I was in New York, I would just clear them all the time and it would be no big deal. It wasn't until later that after moving from New York to New Jersey recently in the last couple of years where I, two years ago, I started to have some of the same issues, uh, if okay. not at a greater level than I was having um, during that, those 10 years when I had this anxiety. Right. Yeah. So between 24 and, and you ever take 34, was it around 34 you made the movie? Do I have that right? I made the movie in 2010, 11. Okay. Well, it took me five years to make the movie. So it probably was earlier than that I started. Yeah. Yeah. So for, um, cause I guess I'm curious, what did you start doing professionally? You mentioned like, uh, being a business coach at some point in time. Well, I did so. a lot of things professionally. <laughs> fair, fair enough. I, I, I taught, I taught women how to use computers at a time where women were learning and they couldn't learn from their kids because their kids would make them nuts. So I would right, come right, over to right. their house, I'd drive over and I would teach them how to use their computer. I was okay. a graphic artist for a period of time. I was a website designer for a period of time. I was a professional singer for a period of time. Um, I, I can go on and on and on and on. I have, I I've, I've, I, I baked bagels when I was, was a kid for a living. Um, so I did lots of different things. Uh, so I have lots of different um, learnings and experiences. I probably have done more than one lifetime of stuff in this lifetime. <laughs> so you know what's really fascinating about that is um, I, was, I was just recently watching a conversation between, uh, I want to say Malcolm Gladwell and another author who's actually a fairly prominent Canadian author. If I have it right. Anyways, uh, the, the point of the discussion was they were talking about the difference between Tiger Woods and Roger Federer. And Tiger Woods was a golfer from the time he was like three. That's it. Golf, 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 golf. Whereas Roger Federer played like every sport that, that he could. He, he wasn't just a tennis player. He got into every single sport he could. And that's part of the reason why it's believed that he had such, he, he 
excelled so well is because he had developed so many different abilities. And I guess the dots I'm trying to connect here is when you have this diverse range of life experience, I've, I've actually had about 11, I, I guess I could call it genuine sort of careers or occupations over the course of my lifetime too. sort of this journey of discovery, like what am I actually doing in life? And, 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 and what do I want to do with myself? So it sounds like you went on something kind of similar, but what this allows you to have is this really like sort of unique, diverse set of experiences and learnings that you can apply when you go to connect with people. And I think it also opens the door to you connecting with a, a wide variety of people as well because of that. Yeah. And you can see the same thing happened again. So I did a lot of different things in my life, but also with the, with the healing aspect, I learned over 20 different healing modalities right, to yeah. try to get a good understanding of how I could help myself because none of them really worked well enough to resolve my problem completely because I didn't know that I had entities. So all the great stuff I was doing wasn't actually resolving it fully, but it was getting it better. I, I mean, I, I, right, I survived, right? right? <laughs> I'm so, here to talk to you. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so you mentioned the term entity and this lady says to you, you have entities and you go, what the heck is this? And probably people listening to this conversation, many of them are like wondering the same thing. Well, what, what do we mean by, by entities and how would you define it? Because I, I think many people understand that we are metaphysical beings. We have a physical body and then we have a metaphysical element to ourselves, call it a soul, call it a spirit. There's something to us that is intangible and it can't be measured in a physical sense. Um, so how, what is your understanding? What, what at that time was your kind of understanding of entities and how did you explain their sort of, I guess, appearance in our world? Well, entities in the movies are demons. Right. Okay? right. So not all entities are demons. So we, we can start with that. That's a very simple thing. That's reassuring. Um, <laughs> yes. Entities, in a sense, don't have a real energy of their own. So they attach to you. Okay. They're, they're disembodied energies or, or, like or uh... people that have passed. It could have been... Um, non-human entities as well. So there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of different types of entities, but basically they don't have energy of them in themselves. So they use your energy to fulfill what they want to fulfill. So their agenda. So, that's so, the so they have a will and agenda as well. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so there's, there's also like this, um, uh, like spiritual, I guess, dimension world realm where there are entities that have wills. And I'm trying. I'm trying to put the put the different pieces together here. So they they themselves are trapped in this this physical realm, but would like to be free from it, or potentially using us, the physical beings in this world, to try to accomplish something to maybe free them from that. Or I think they're trying to accomplish something, and they're here on purpose. <laughs> okay. They they want to they want to be here to be able to attach to us and to be able to fulfill what their dream is. And so a lot of times they they mess with your mind and you think you're going crazy. They they it's like they bring up fears. They want to they want to lower your frequency. I have a very very high frequency, but okay. when entities are around, they plummet my frequency. And so I have ways to counter that. But that's if you notice it right away. <laughs> you know, you may not notice that that's what's happening. So um, I'm able to resolve it once I realize it, and then that's fine. But um, I've come up with tools now beyond that where I don't even have to deal with entities anymore. Now, is, is this why it, it seems to happen like in the dark and in the basement? <laughs> you know, like... Yeah, well, in the dark is where you're more clairvoyant. So when you when yeah. you when you when in the dark, I, I can see things more clearly. Um, 
and at night, you know, if I just if I just turn off the lights and I look into my room, I can see all sorts of things, um, ghosts and 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 um, not entities because they're not in my house anymore. <laughs> but um, I but but things like uh, spiritual energies, um, mm-hmm. I see visions, all sorts of things I can see in the dark. It's pretty cool. Well, it's interesting because I think when we we deprive like some of our senses that we need to navigate the present physical world. When we, you know, it's, it's like, let's say someone who is maybe blind, for example, they develop very, very acute sense of hearing and, and they use yeah. their hearing. And, you know, I, I have a, a friend who, who is that he, he had a brain tumor. It was removed, but it left him blind at 17. And wow. he developed the skill of uh, like sonar, like making clicks and, and being able to like navigate the world through like sonar, which is incredible. Wow. Yeah. So it's, but it's like this idea, shout out to Kevin, if you happen to be listening to this. Um, but it's this idea that like, when we, when we take away like one of our senses, we can turn our energy and our focus to some of our other senses as well. And, you know, a lot of people think we have five senses, you know, sight, smell, taste, touch, hearing, but we actually have um, quite a few more senses than that as well. Um, and so, you know, do you, do you enjoy, uh, you know, spending time in the dark and, and sort of tapping into this clairvoyant thing, or is it, is it something that it just, it just kind of happens? Like, is there an intentionality to it? Well, now I'm much more skilled, so I don't necessarily need it to be dark. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But, um, but I, but I did at one point to to try to understand um, why do I see like spaceship like things flying in my room? Um, why do why do I see things that people don't see? So when I was a kid, I saw them and got scared. As an adult, I know that these things aren't going to hurt me, and it's all good. And I also use it to help people in transformation. I can tell where someone's holding energy. I can tell where their problem resides and, and, and where the cells live that, that that problem lives so that we can transform it like quickly, mm-hmm. if not instantly. And now, You mentioned something interesting and, and you answered one of the questions I have because I imagine people, we have this perception of like, I guess, spiritual entities as being something because of maybe the way that horror movies and horror stories, you know, I think, I think probably fables is like, you know, children in like Europe about like the, I forget the name of it, some German like creature that comes in the night and steals away little children if they misbehave or something like that, you know, so we always have these this is sort of passed on, you know, through, through human history, we learn through story. And that's part of why we share stories here. But it, it is that like all of these entities are out to get you somehow. And, and it's like, well, if they're a spiritual being, do they really have any way of like interacting with your physical body? You mentioned that they can't really hurt you per se. I'm not sure they couldn't, but um, I, they, they definitely have messed with my mind and mm. have, have, um, there was there was well, there was one experience where I didn't really, really didn't know what was happening. Um, I called a friend of mine. I had enough ability to call a friend of mine and say something is wrong. And she said, "Well, you don't sound like you." And I was, I was, "What do you mean I don't sound like me?" She says, "You don't sound like you." And I'm like, "Okay." So she was able to to help me because I wasn't in a position at that moment where I was coherent. I was kind of in the back, and mm-hmm. up front wasn't me. So that was, I only experienced that once in my life and I would not like to experience that again, but it shows that they, that they, that there could have, I mean, I don't know if that was possession or whatever, but it felt like it, it was really, really big. And I didn't, I, I was able to remove 
the entities, but they were preventing me from removing them because I wasn't even able to think well enough. So that's why I called my friend who sort of snapped me out of it. And um, then we were able to resolve that issue. But so entities can yeah. potentially hurt you. And, and, but that's not normally their, their, their thing, but there are also demons. I mean, there, there are, it's just not common. So right, you know, what right. we see in the movies is not common, but it does happen. I know people have had experiences. I've helped people who have said, Joshua, something's in my house and I don't know how to deal with it. My doors are opening and all sorts of paranormal things are happening and I'm able to help them remove it, but I don't have to go there. You know, when you see the movies and people walk in and they're like, and they right, right. Tear the crap out of each other. Yeah. That's not, we don't do that. So, <laughs> that's great for a TV show, but real life, um, I can do it from a distance and I can clear their entire house and make sure that they don't have that stuff happening anymore, which is good. I don't have to get in, involved just to be able to resolve it. Right. Right. Which is, uh, which kind of makes sense. Um, the, the, the spiritual world isn't necessarily restricted by time and space, I would yes. say. You know, the physical world is the one that we we are sort of, I don't want to say trapped in, but we're, you know, this phase of our existence, we're in a body, you know, and, and yes. we're restricted by that. And so I'm curious, is your sort of understanding or how you interpret, you know, um, let's say like death, for example, and how does that maybe fit into the picture uh, in, in sort of the spirit world that you're describing? Yeah, so, you know, as far as death goes, that's an interesting question because I'm not sure I know. Although mm-hmm. I am a non-practicing medium, so mm-hmm. I have the ability. I just don't do it for other people really that often. Uh, but it happens. You know, I, I do a session or something, and someone comes in, and I can tell them about that. But I don't. I don't uh, practice enough of that to be the thing that I do, right? But I. But I. But I do understand it and engage it. So when, when we talk about death, I don't know um, for myself. Um, what happens, but I know that we are energy separately than our body. And in this time, when we have a body, we need to use our body and be grounded and centered and be in the moment with things, or otherwise we become out of body, and that becomes a problem. So I teach people how to stay in their body. And I use things like my QET pendant that I'm wearing here to (laughs) help people stay in their body, because a lot of times people realize, oh, I'm not in my body. And then they, I teach them how to get into their body and they're like, but I keep popping out. I'm like, yeah, how long have you been, you know, out of your body? That's, you know, you're, you're used yeah. to being up, up there and not in here. So the QE dependent has taken over this so that when you just simply wear the pendant, you're automatically grounded and you're in your body and you're present. And so the key to quantum healing, when we talked about quantum earlier, mm-hmm. the key to it is you have to be in growth which is what Dr. Bruce Lipton says, you're, when you're in growth, you're in a place where all your cells are working properly and you're basically in your body. And when you're in protection, you're in the opposite. You're in fight or flight. Mm-hmm. So if you're in fight or flight, you can't heal. That's the problem. So we got to get right. out of fight or flight into the body. And when you're in the body, in that place where healing can happen, you then are connected to the quantum field. And in that experience, we can move the energy at the cellular level of the body to create a quantum shift, to release anxiety, to release, you know, I've, I've, I cleared my migraines. I don't get them anymore. I don't get, um, I don't have dyslexia anymore. I read fine. Um, I don't have attention deficit disorder. I'm really good at focusing. Um, so all of these things that I had issues with, um, have resolved because of utilizing the quantum field to change it. 
Hmm. Fascinating. I was thinking about when I, when I experienced anxiety at its most severe, I would feel like I was floating out of my body. There was a dissociation that was taking place. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting kind of what, how, how you describe that there. And so you talk about um, using this to heal people and just, you know, for the last bit of the episode here, I want to, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of share a little bit about that um, because inevitably I think there will be those who might be skeptical hearing this. And perhaps, you know, you had some, uh, some skepticism going around this just naturally as human beings, when there's something that we don't understand very often, our first response is to be dismissive and skeptical. This doesn't make sense to me. I don't see anything sort of in the scientific literature about this and et cetera, et cetera. You know um, how, how would you maybe open a conversation with someone who's skeptical of the things that you're describing here? Well, I think everybody that I come into contact with who, who, who is a client, for example, is going to be skeptical, <laughs> and they're going to also think that it, ca- it can't work for them. Right. Yeah. And I'm one of those people. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. so, you know, as I was working to transform my life, I had to create quantum energy transformation in order to resolve my issues because there was nothing out there and there's still really nothing out there that does it as well as what I what I learned and I created. And so the the quantum energy transformation has given me my life back and I, it's just, it's without, there's without words there, how amazing yeah. it has been to, to have, to have created such a tool that allows us to um, release at the cellular level of the body to create such drastic change and fast change. Mm. So what what you're kind of describing here, and obviously in, in like two or three minutes, we can't necessarily unpack the uh, magnitude of kind of like what you're describing, but you know, let's say somebody comes to you with, uh, like, I guess the question that is in my mind is, is there sort of an upper limit to what can be accomplished in the physical body? You know, somebody comes to you with a terminal illness and, and, and there's, you know, I've been given this diagnosis. I have X amount of time to live. You know, is there, is there a point of no return where it's like, well, we can't fully recover from that in our physical body? That's a good question. Um, I do think when the body gets to a point, we might want to call that the tipping point, when it tips over too far, um, it's much harder to bring it back. Uh, but, you know, I've worked with, you know, for example, a woman who had fibromyalgia for 16 years. Mm-hmm. And in four minutes, I was able to help her release that so that she didn't have any experience of fibromyalgia after the work we did in four minutes. Um, that was. I was like, for me, because I didn't know that was possible. This was one of my first clients like 20 some odd years ago. And right. I helped her do this. And I realized that she taught me something more than, than I helped her. I mean, great. I helped her release uh, this, this um, issue, this syndrome that is incurable. Uh, but at the same time, she taught me that anything was possible. So in my view of things, I don't put limits on whether it's possible or not. I go for it and we see what happens. But Mm-mm. I would definitely say that anything is possible because she had this for 16 years and now doesn't have it. I've also worked with people with Crohn's disease and helped them have no symptoms of Crohn's disease anymore. Um, and I have to say it that way as I'm assuming <laughs> you get the illegalities of it. Um, right, right. Of course. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not healing anybody. They're healing themselves. I'm teaching them how to do this. For right, themselves. right, right. Have there, have you encountered people that you are unable to help? And and if so, sure. what what would sort of prevent them from being able to be healed? Yeah, so there there's lots of different people that 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 aren't um, aren't going to be able to 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 do it. So first of all, some people aren't ready, and they need help 
to get ready. And maybe that's part of the reason some people reach out too. It's like, I know I got to do something, but I don't know what. So those people that are not ready aren't going to necessarily make that change in that moment. So I might need to work with them to get ready first. And then we could have our fast, if not instant transformation experience. Um, And sometimes we do both at the same time, right? We get ready and we're doing the transformation. It all all depends. Ever since the QE dependent, though, we've been doing this much faster than what we were doing before. So it used to be about seven minutes to, you know, 30 minutes that we would be able to transform something with the quantum energy transformation work. Now we're doing it in much less time. Uh, Two two minutes is, you know, on average. Sometimes it's five minutes. And it it depends on what it is also. A lot of the stuff I work on is emotional transformation, which we can mm-hmm. do very quickly in like two minutes using the pendant. So it's very, very quick. Fascinating. Um, well, let's let's ask maybe the big existential question. And then because um, I'm curious what your interpretation is, you know, we think about like if you travel around the world, you're going to find a variety of different worldviews and spiritual views to try to explain our existence in this world. You know, in Asia, you might encounter Buddhism and in India, you might encounter, I mean, there's a variety in India, but we'll say the predominant one might be like Hinduism, for example. In the Middle East, you'll encounter Islam. And of course, in Europe, you'll encounter, you know, Christianity, even if it's sort of like fading away, <laughs> you know, and the same in sort of like the so-called Western world. And each one of these cultures has a way of describing what they believe to be sort of the ultimate benevolent um, power or just the ultimate omnipotent power uh, sort of driving the universe. Uh, what might your understanding of this be? Ooh, that's a great question. I'm very open to possibilities of what is what is about. I, I watch a lot of a lot of things and learn a lot of things about about how 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 it all works. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't pretend to be the expert of all experts on how it works um, because I think there are lots of points of view. Now I get a lot of information intuitively. And that's the information I trust the most. And so when I when I get information intuitively, I find that we're all kind of right <laughs> in right. our in our own way, our own views. Um, mm-hmm. In my opinion, and this is just my opinion, of course, yeah. um, when it comes to extreme religion, um, I find there's a lot of limitations in that energy of that. So mm. for me, that's not for me. Um, but I have worked with people who um, are extreme in their religion. And as long as they are open to work with me, I work with them. I work with very um, a Catholic people, <laughs> I work with very Jewish people. I work with right. just about everybody, really. Um, but the, the thing is, is that the, the transformation happens from within. It is them who have the power to create the change in their life. And I think that's universal. Mm-hmm. And whether whether that for some people that also means God is a part of that. And for some people, um, it doesn't. And, and to me, the science and the spirituality come together mm-hmm. to to say the same thing anyway. And that was yeah. the whole point of me making a movie and writing the books is so that people understand that we're all saying the same thing and we all have this universal language called energy. And we can mm-hmm. use that energy to transform our lives much deeper, much faster than you ever imagined. Mm. Fascinating. Boy, there, there's many, many more questions uh, I could ask. We, there's there's so much to uh, potentially explore in this in this topic. So we might just have to bring you back when I do my do my round of um, what am I calling it? Round round two discussions with people. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, it's been it's been so interesting. You know, uh, the thing that I'd like to ask every guest before we wrap up the show is if you could offer some words of wisdom to someone who's been listening to this conversation, what would you hope that they take away from this conversation? Well, first of all, anything is possible. So consider that anything is possible, I think is really good. Also, people are experiencing all sorts of things. You know, I've experienced a lot of things um, energetically and spiritually and, uh, and all that stuff. And, and we, we, we have all these uh, stigmas on things. That, oh, you shouldn't be thinking this way. You shouldn't be feeling this way. Um, all of that. Open up those possibilities and know that you are not alone. There are lots of people that are feeling, whether it's anxiety or depression or whether you're having any issues, regardless of what it is. It can be resolved if you know how to get there. And that's what I do. I help um, people get there who haven't been able to because I had that exact journey. I wasn't able to get there until I did. And now I help other people do the same. That's amazing. And you mentioned the movie just very quickly. We'll give him a shout out. We'll mention it also in the show notes as well. But uh, was it called The Ultimate Answer? Is that right? The Ultimate Answer is Inside. The ultimate answer is inside. And so definitely worth checking out. I think people will find this a fascinating watch. Well, Joshua, thank you again for your time. It's been such a pleasure having you. I've loved this conversation. I look forward to when we chat again next. Thank you so much. I had a blast. Thank you so much for tuning into Between the Before and After. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review because that helps this podcast to reach and inspire more people. I love exploring the stories that take place between the before and after, the powerful experiences that shape who we become, and I love human potential. I love the possibilities that lie within us. So whatever you may be up against, I hope these stories inspire you because if you're still here, your story's not done yet, so keep moving forward.